continuing in Romans chapter 13 today. Last week we closed with verse 7. After hearing from Paul that we should be subject to our governing authorities. Everyone was ecstatic. (laughs) So his message today is already going to be focused on something uh, that we should be doing um, on a regular basis, and that's humbling ourselves before others. And as we read through Romans, we look at the many different aspects of the uh, issues that Paul was addressing, and then we get to this point, another chapter uh, of practical application. These are things that we should be considering as we live our lives as Christians. How do we walk as Christians? A lot of times people say, well, what do we do as Christians? Well, we find these places where Paul addresses these issues in just small sections, and we read them and say, I can't do that. A lot of times we think, you know what, that's just too hard for me. And I've got some good news. I know. I know it's too hard. It's too hard for any of us to do these things on our own. The only way that we can truly accomplish these things is with the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit isn't doing the work, then we get stuck trying to do things in our own power. It's almost like trying to obey the Ten Commandments on our own. It's almost impossible to do that. You know, just simple things. Thou shalt not lie. Well, we're, we, we ask ourselves, where's the boundary for that? You know, is, are we talking a little white lie? Are we talking about, you know, when, when your wife asks how I look in these pants? You know, are, are, what, what kind of lie are we... Not my wife. She looks great all the time. So, um, you know, what, what is it that... <laughs> are we going to lunch after? No? Oh. Um, but when we, um, when we think about the, the Ten Commandments as a whole, it, it's, these aren't the rules to live by. God gave them to... Israel to show them they couldn't live by 10 rules. And if you and if you get nine of them pretty good, well, I haven't murdered anyone, you know, so that's pretty good. And uh, then you get to thou shalt not covet. And then we are all disqualified at that point, you know, because it's just, that's human nature, especially today. We're forced to covet. You watch a commercial on TV, and it's like, that looks so good. I need that Paxil, that, whatever the medication is that they're trying to sell. I need it. You know, what, why are they advertising medications? It's a prescription. You can't just go to the store and buy it, you know. Let me see, I can buy the Infinity or Paxil. What, what do I, you know, where am I going to? Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, 
our message today is about humbling ourselves. And that's a hard thing to do as humans. Uh, I don't care what kind of human you are. Uh, it's humbling ourselves doesn't come naturally. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. It's just not something we like to do. And so we actually have to pray about that. We actually have to ask the Lord to help us to apply that to our lives. Today's message is titled, Love Others First. And we continue our study through the book of Romans with chapter 13. We're picking it up in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. Well, it's talking about debt. Paul is talking about going into debt. This doesn't mean you shouldn't take out a loan to buy a home or a car or something like that. What it's really talking about is be diligent about paying your debt. Take care of your debts and be on time with uh, paying your debts. And that means that when we do that, Someone is recognizing it. Someone is, you know, the bank doesn't care that I am paying things on time. But if you're late one time, they care. You know, they, they take notice all of a sudden. Who is this Rick Ponzo? You know, they want to know what, what is going on. But if we're doing what we should be doing, nobody pays attention to, uh, to that. But really it's, speaking of being a good steward with what God has blessed us with. And that talks about money, that talks about whatever we own uh, is something that God has blessed us with. We always have to look at it that way. Because if we look at what we own as ours, I worked hard for this, I went to school, I got a degree, I own that. I, uh, you know, my degree is worth about the paper that it was written on anymore. Um, I, you know, uh, when it comes to education, going to Bible college, I learned how to study the Bible, how to read, how to teach. I learned all of that in school, but it, doesn't convey into actually leading a church, actually being a pastor. Even though I went to the school, it wasn't that. It was looking at all of the examples and watching all of the people that I've watched over the years and learning from them, gleaning from them. I learned the, the you know, characteristics of a pastor but it's the Holy Spirit that delivers the message, not the pastor. And so when we get caught up with um, the pastor and who, who that person is, oh, he has a church of 18,000. He you know, bought a stadium so that everyone can come and hear the message that he has to deliver. And he has some of the nicest suits 
I have a hard time wearing a suit when I need to wear a suit, you know. And, and so uh, it, it's all part of that persona. But I believe, and, and I'm not degrading anyone that wears a suit that teaches the word of God. There are many that are solid. But it's the fact that the Holy Spirit needs to be the message from the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit isn't delivering the message, then you're getting a message from a man, from a human. You can get that through, you know, self-help books and online stuff. But we need to be hearing from God, the ultimate authority. If we're not hearing from him, then we could be led astray. We could be doing things inappropriately or just plain wrong, things that aren't going to have any value in the future. So when Paul starts off with this, and he just touches on this, hey, owe no one anything because, and remember back then, everything had to do with your life and your business was all tied to one thing. And so there was a lot of bartering going on, and, and that was your whole life. And so don't go into debt to live life, basically, is what Paul is saying here, except to love one another. And, you know, that's another debt that we have a hard time with, loving one another. It's easy to love people that are lovable. It's easy to love people that are nice and friendly and and you can get along with, but he's not saying love certain people. He's saying love one another. It's across the board, especially as Christians. We're going to be spending eternity together. There's not a section in heaven that's here are the unlovables, and here are the lovable people, and, and here are the Baptists and the Presbyterians, and, and here are, it's not like that. Heaven is going to be all of the church. And the church is going to be all of us that made it. But in heaven, there is no church because we're going to be in the presence of God. We don't need church anymore. Now we're going to be taught directly from him. We're going to live directly for him. Paul says the exception to that debt is love. Since God loved us all the way to the cross, we should love others as a demonstration of our appreciation for what God has done. God loved us all the way to the cross. He didn't stop and say, you know what? You people are just out of your minds. Um... Just gonna, I'm going to wipe out those people that are trying to kill me and I'll, I'll bring a few of my friends along. Sometimes we're like that in the church. Sometimes we're like, okay, well, these are my, my clique, my group, my friends. You know, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. You know, we all are supposed to be loving each other so that when someone comes in here, and they don't know who we are, they can sense who we are by the love that we demonstrate to them. 
And they can see the love that we have for one another and say, wow, that's a really loving church. And I believe, um, I've heard that comment given to us by people that have come in and visited. You really have a wonderful flock of loving people. They love each other. And, you know, and I let them know, yeah, I pay them to do that. <laughs> it's not true. Because <laughs> I don't have two nickels to pay you <laughs> to, to do that. It's just the fact that it's the joy of the Lord. And that's what happens when we actually focus our attention on what God is doing rather than what we want to accomplish on our own. So loving one another, it says, fulfills the law. But Christians aren't supposed to live by the law, right? I mean, we don't live. That isn't our law that we're supposed to live by. We live by grace. We're saved by faith and grace, right? And it doesn't seem like this fits. Well, Paul isn't talking about living for the law for the purpose of salvation and righteousness. We're not living by the law so we can make it to heaven because if we do that, we're in trouble. We're not going to make it to heaven based on following a bunch of rules and regulations. Abraham had faith before there was a law and he was counted faithful because he was obedient to Christ and he lived, or not to Christ, but to God, because, you know, well, he was obedient to Christ, you just didn't know it. And he was obedient to God because God had this relationship with him. And so he was an example for us also. But here Paul is talking about loving others in such a way that they will recognize our compliance with the law. They're going to recognize the fact that we're obedient to the law. Well, hold on. I thought we weren't supposed to follow the law. Just because other religions have certain rules and laws and stuff like that doesn't mean that we could say, well, I don't want to do that because then people may think that I am, uh, you know, one of them, you know, and I'm not one of them. You know, going door to door, knocking on doors. Immediately you think Jehovah Witness, Mormons, you know, we're, we're out there doing these work-based things. It's okay to knock on your neighbor's door and tell them about the love of Jesus. You're not going to offend God by doing that. God isn't going to say, what, did you become a Mormon? <laughs> yeah, you know, God's not going to. He knows the heart. He, he knows why we're doing what we're doing. That's scary at the same time. But if we have common ground like thou shalt not murder, you know, and we're not murdering, are we doing that because we're keeping the law or are we doing that because we know that God doesn't want us to murder? We're not following laws. Well, if we say do not commit adultery, well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So does that now make us Jewish because we're being obedient to the Ten Commandments? Not at all. It's the law of Moses, and that's what the Jews live by. But we can also live by the same rules because it's what 
Jesus said. So if Jesus said, hey, don't commit adultery, oh, does that mean he's talking about just the Jews? No, he's talking about all of us. It's a sin. It's wrong. And there are reasons why we don't do it. It's not healthy for a relationship. Uh, adultery is um, intimacy, sex between a man and a married female married to someone else. And that's what adultery is. And so if that's what's taking place, it's a sin. So it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or if you're a Gentile, it's still sin. And so when we obey it, it's not that we're obeying Jewish law, it's that we're obeying God. We're being obedient to what God wants us to do. And so, and it's just healthy for us. Uh, it, it's a good thing to do what's right. And Paul is saying, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. We don't have to avoid the doctrine of some other religious system so that we don't get confused as being part of that system. So here in, in verse 9, Paul is going to continue explaining some of those commandments. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. He just simplified the whole thing. He said, hey, we don't have to be going through looking at what the laws are, you know, that we shouldn't be doing these things. Do I need to have those laws on my mirror in the bathroom so in the morning I can review them to make sure that I avoid doing those things during the... No, because I know that it's just part of what I do. I get up, I love my wife, I, I make her a cup of coffee in the morning, and, and now she knows I love her because I made her a cup of coffee. No, but... I mean, she knows I love her because of everything else, but the cup of coffee helps. And when we love someone, when we love uh, people, our neighbors, they know because of how we treat them. Uh, we don't lie to them. We uh, don't speak rudely to them. We talk to them like they're friends, like we love them. It's hard because sometimes we don't love our neighbors. They're rude. They have a dog that barks all the time. You know, they leave their trash cans out for three days. And oh my goodness. You know what I do? I bring their trash cans in. Maybe they just didn't realize they were out there. And I try to be neighborly to my neighbors. And if I don't do that, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to bring them dog food to keep their dog shut up or anything. But, um, you know, I just try to be friendly to them and neighborly to them. And that's how we show love. If I do anything 
that doesn't convey love, then I may be fulfilling one of these other things. Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness. I may be doing something wrong. But if we're loving, then we won't do any of those things. It's just natural. We're not going to do them if we actually love. So when we love our neighbors, our life takes on new characteristics. The characteristics of a Christian, of someone following Jesus. And that's really our goal, is to live like Jesus. To love like Jesus. You know, he never said a mean word to anyone. That's not true. He he spoke to the Pharisees and he let them know when they were out of line because they weren't listening to God. They were supposed to be God's representatives. And instead, they were just doing things for themselves. They were killing Christians. They were killing anyone that didn't agree with them or casting them out. But Jesus didn't, you know, kill them. He still loved them. And when they came to him in the cover of night to speak, he listened to them and he talked with them. Nicodemus, I know that you're a teacher that came from God. You know, and Jesus spoke with him in love. You know, Nicodemus, I believe, got saved because of that. How do I know? Because Nicodemus was there when he was crucified. They took his body off the cross and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body and then put it into the tomb and prepared it and everything and put it into the tomb. And so that's a changed life. That's someone that used to live this way and now is living this way. And I believe that that's how people will know that we're Christians because of how we live, because they see a changed life. If you would have seen me when I was 19 years old, you wouldn't be here today. You would be saying, not that guy. You know, I remember how bad... Notice, none of my friends from when I was 19 are here. Uh, you know, uh, that's okay. They didn't live anywhere close to here. Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If we love, then we're not going to harm our neighbor. We're not going to be rude to our neighbor. We're not going um, to come across as unapproachable either. We're going to show them that we care about them enough to talk to them. Now, sometimes they don't want to hear. Okay, that's just a fact of life. When people hear, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you're, you're oh, you're, can you imagine what my, pa my neighbors are like? Oh, you're a pastor? You know, I, wow, I didn't think that person could run that fast. Um, you know, and then I don't see them for six years. Uh, you know, it's the fact that people are kind of strange about religious people. Just think of how many religious people you know 
that their religion isn't really lived out in their lives. And that's why it's hard to uh, associate with them. And so our neighbors sometimes have had bad experiences with religious people. And that's why you end up getting in those situations. You wouldn't hurt someone by sinning against them if you're actually applying the love of God to your life and to your relationships with others around you. Verse 11, and do this knowing the time that is now, it is now, excuse me, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believe. Come awake, come awake, come up, rise up from the grave. I love that we sang that song today. Do you know? And when um, these songs are chosen and selected, the person selecting the songs doesn't know what I'm teaching on because they're done weeks in advance and doesn't know that I'm teaching. But a lot of times God just brings the songs that we sing in line with the text that I'm teaching on. It's just so wonderful to see how God's hand intertwines all of those things. And uh, so knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. What? You know, how many 2,000-year-old people do you know? Uh, you know, he, he said it's high time. Come on, get out of your sleep. Well, you know what? Uh, how many 200-year-old people do you know? This text has been with us for almost 2,000 years and it still applies today because 100 out of every 100 people die until the rapture that is but 100 out of every 100 die and so it is high time it is time to awake out of sleep it's important that we recognize that we could be sleeping when we should be awake. We could be distracted by the things of the world that put us in a sleep, put us in a, a, a state where we're comfortable. It, it doesn't mean that we're oblivious. It doesn't mean we're apathetic. It means we're comfortable in the state that we're in. There's a moment when I get into bed and I'm just comfortable. It's followed by sleep 30 seconds later. Cheryl would say 15. And I just, I can go out just like that. When I get comfortable, I'm, I'm done. We can get comfortable that way in our Christian walk. We can get comfortable in that way within our community. The thing is, is that we need to wake up and we need to be sensitive to what God is doing around us. Many people believe that God isn't really doing anything around us. 
They think that, uh, look at the way things are going. God can't be doing anything. It would almost appear that way, depending on which news channel you listen to. So here's the thing. Stop watching all the news channels because even the ones where we agree and I'm not saying stop, but I mean even the ones that we agree with and, and would uh, agree with politically and, and listen to them and watch them, they still have a little bit of delusion to the message. There is still a little bit of manipulation behind that message and they could actually make you feel comfortable with the way things are as long as you're on team A, not team B, team A. If you're on team A, you're doing good. If you're on team B, you're going to hell. And that's how it's presented. And it doesn't matter who team A and who team B are. If you think that you're in with this group and you feel good about it, you could miss the fact that we're on team Jesus. It's a completely different team. It, 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 you can't base your contentment, your happiness, or your salvation on which political group that you're a member of. Who's running for president or who is president? You can't base it on that because my president is not going to save me regardless of who he is. The best human president in the world can be elected and, uh, and it still wouldn't make a... Oh, it may make a difference to my economic situation. It may help, you know, my, the, the way I eat or probably not. But when you are satisfied and content with how things are going in our communities and our world... Um, sometimes it takes our eyes off of Jesus. I'm content. I'm doing okay. China, the Christians in China, pray for us in the United States. You know what they pray? They pray that our life would become miserable so that we could learn to trust Jesus that our lives would be filled with struggle. This is what the Christians in China, because that's what led them to Jesus. Because of the struggle that they went through in their life and they realized that their only hope was not in who was in office. Their hope is in Jesus. And so they pray for us in that regard because they want to see us trust him more than our government. I trust almost everyone more than our government anymore, but Paul is saying it's high time for us today as well as it was in his day to wake up, to be awake. There are many Christians who are asleep not acting on the word of God, but just hearers of the word. And James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. We need to be doing it in our lives. Now, he's not saying that because we're saved by doing the word. 
he's saying that because that's what shows that we're saved by doing the word. If we're saved, we will do. And he's not telling us do so you can be saved. You're saved, so prove it by doing it, by living it. Awake and do that. We deceive ourselves when we hear the word of God, but we don't act on it. It's deceptive to ourselves when we think we're okay. When we believe we're comfortable with where we are in the world in life right now. Paul says that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And that's true for every single person. Everyone. Our salvation is nearer. Because we're all going, growing older. If anyone is not growing older, you can leave. We're all growing older. And our salvation is closer. The moment we believe in Jesus, the clock starts. And we start heading to that time when we're going to spend eternity with him. You know, people say, I look forward to when I die or when I'm raptured and I can start living in eternity. We're living in eternity now. Because we're not going to experience death and separation from God. We're living now in eternity. So let's live like we're living in eternity. Let's have our mind focused on eternity. We don't have to live so much in eternity that we're no earthly good. We still have to have an impact here on earth. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Usually, God will come and intervene in our lives at a time we don't expect. Sometimes we're going through struggles and we are so focused on the struggle that we don't recognize God being involved in the struggle, that he's there with us during the struggle. And then all of a sudden he just intervenes and pulls and we recognize sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we give credit to the doctor. Oh, I went to the doctor and he gave me this medicine and I feel so much better now. You know, and we give credit to the instrument God used to heal us. And we really should be thinking about how God used someone to heal us. Especially if we pray. You know, how often do we pray for someone and say, Lord, Lord, heal that person. They're going through this hard time. Heal that. They get healed and we say, wow, what doctor did you go to? You know, what, who, who treated you? God. So we, we should remember that whenever we are struggling ourselves in our own lives. The night, in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The darkness is far spent. The night is far spent. Night's almost over. And we think of that when we think of the night. It seems like, well, there's that proverb that says it's always darkest before the dawn you know, before daylight, oh, it's always the darkest. That's not true. The dark hasn't gotten darker. 
it's the fact that we have been going through the darkness the whole time until it starts to get light. And so when you've gone through the darkness for eight or nine or 10 hours, and now it's going to start to become light. Now it seems like, man, it's been dark for so long. And, and you know, especially if you have insomnia, right? Uh, you know, have you ever laid there and rolled back and forth and looked at the clock and it's like, oh, and it's just so long. When is, you know, when can I get to sleep so I can wake up? Usually like a half hour before you need to wake up. And then the light comes. And there's something about light that when it comes, it gives us hope. It gives us a vision for the next day. It makes us feel like, okay, the darkness is gone and now I am able to look forward to this. I'm able to, some, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect the next day. But when it is daylight, that's when God uses us to impact the world. I don't mean he just does that during the day. He can do it at night too. But that's what Paul is really trying to get to. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What are the works of darkness? Well, the works of darkness are anything that's outside of the work of God. And let's cast off those things that are of darkness and let's put on the light. What is the works of light. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit. Do you know when after a millennium, the new Jerusalem comes and, and we're going to be hanging out in, in, in this new place that the sun is not going to rise on. The moon is not going to be needed because the light, the illumination is going to be coming from God himself, from Jesus. That's where our illumination is going to come from. I just can't even fathom that. You know, sometimes when I come out in the morning and I turn on the lights and everything, I'm like, oh, I can see everything. Cheryl comes out and she's like, ow, turn the lights off. They're too bright. And they bother her eyes. She has very sensitive eyes. And, uh, you know, for me, I want to see everything. I want to, you know, I, I want to see what's going on. In heaven, it's always going to be illuminated. It will never hurt your lights, uh, your eyes. The, the light will always be, and you won't say, oh, can you turn it down, Lord? It, it, it won't be there. It won't be happening. What a joy. So we need to recognize the armor See, and, and that's a term. Armor that's being used there. Armor is protection when we're walking in the light. You see, just as well as we can see when we're walking in the light, the enemy can see when we're walking in the light. Those neighbors who we don't like that leave their trash cans out and then let their dogs bark, they can see us because it's light out, right? But we still... 
are protected by the armor of the Holy Spirit. And when we leave our home to go interact with the world, we have that light. We have that power. We have that protection. And so we can go out and we can do mighty things in the name of Jesus. And we don't even have to mention the name of Jesus. All we have to do is love. Like, do you, do you realize that a lot of times when Jesus was out there ministering and, and healing people and stuff like that, they didn't even know his name. Who was it that healed you? I don't know. Some guy, he, he spit on the ground, put mud on my eyes, and then sent me to the river and told me to wash off. And, and uh, you know, now I can see, well, you know, who is he? I don't know. I was blind. You know, so don't ask. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay now. And then they find out, and then they come back. Oh, it's Jesus. That's who it was. The world doesn't need to hear us tell them the world needs to see us live like him and then they will know then they they will come to you and say who is it that's made your life different who is it that helps you to live the way that you live who is it that gives you peace when your struggle is because they know our struggles. They know when we're having a rough time in life, they're our neighbors. And they know. But if we demonstrate the same joy and the same peace that we can have in the good times and the bad, then they're going to want to know why, how. How do you live like that? And that's when we can tell them about Jesus. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Uh, those things we know we shouldn't be involved in. We shouldn't be involved in revelry and drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife and envy. Shouldn't be part of our lives. If it is, then people will say, well, they're just like the world. They don't have anything different. And so we're not supposed to live like that. We've awakened out of that. You want to be woke? Be Jesus woke, not woke like the world. Okay? They're, they're not woke. They're asleep. So I don't care how many people say they're woke. They're not woke. They're asleep. They're asleep unto death. They're heading towards death because of their sleep. And so let's set the alarm clock and wake them up just by loving them, just by being the salt and light for them. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Paul gives us these two steps of walking properly. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ to live like he lived. Following his example. And when you put on the Lord Jesus, people will take notice. They may not like it, 
but they'll take notice. And so Paul instructs us because he knows these are the steps that are going to help us accomplish what he's been writing about. This is how we fulfill the very things that he has been talking about. And then second, we're to make no provision for the flesh. That means you have to start fasting today. No, that's not what it's talking about. Okay? Because I'd be in trouble. You know, I'd make it like maybe two hours. And then I, time to eat. But we're told to make no provision for the flesh, meaning that we shouldn't provide our flesh with temptation. We shouldn't do things that would provide our flesh with satisfying the flesh and not satisfying the spirit, not feeding the spirit and not allowing the spirit to minister to and through us. So we should avoid getting ourselves in situations that are going to cause us to fall spiritually. And we know what they are. Every one of us knows what those situations are. Uh, there isn't a person in here who doesn't know what their weakness is. But we have to first admit that we have a weakness and then we have to do what we can not to allow that weakness to have a foothold in our lives. That's really the struggle, is trying to live for Christ and if we do it without Christ, then we fail. We have to not only live for Christ, we have to allow him to do the work because we can't do it on our own. Many of us try, all of us try. All of us have tried in our lives to live for, uh, you know, the way we think would be best. You know, okay, God, I know this is your plan for me. I'm going to do this and let me just work this out. Bless this, Lord. You ever prayed that after the fact? You know, easier to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. And all right, bless me, Lord, as I step out in this. And uh, it's like, hold on. Pray first, Lord, is this what you want me to step out into? And then if it isn't, we don't do it. If it is, okay, now bless me in this, Lord, in that I'm going to be faithful to do. And when I take the next step, I'm going to ask you first. And when I go the next step, I'm going to ask you first. And then usually after five steps, it's like we saw, oh, I got it now. The next thing you know, we're singing the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, because, you know, we're skidding on the road. But, you know, we need to pay attention to what Jesus wants us to be doing. And that's what Paul is stressing here. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We close with these things. We're, we're supposed to love our neighbor and we love our neighbor with God's love. And when we do, we fulfill the law. And God doesn't hold the law against us. But it's just the fact that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Other people can see that we're living that way. We're never told 
in the word of God not to obey the law. Have you ever seen that in the Bible? If you have, please let me know what scripture that is. I'd like to hear it. But we're never told not to obey the law. One, number two, we're to put off the world and put on Christ. What we have in the world will only last while we're here. And so that's not anything to put our life into. Our lives in Christ is going to be eternal. It's going to last forever. So let's focus on that. Finally, don't wait to receive love before you give love to others. Love others first. That's how we demonstrate the love of God. He first loved us before we loved him. And he loved us all the way to death. Amen?